Well, uh, good morning. Let me ask you to <clears throat> find uh, Proverbs chapter 1 in your Bible. We'll talk about gaining a heart of wisdom. Uh, so there, there come times in each of our lives when we have a, a moment of clarity. That's some point at which we realize something new. We realize maybe what is the next step of something we've been wrestling with. Maybe we realize we've been going a wrong direction and something needs to change. But there is that moment of clarity. It's happened to, I dare say, to all of us at one time or another. Well, there was a moment like that for a man named Adoniram Judson. Uh, that happy guy there, there's a portrait of him. Not a selfie. He was born in 1788. Um, in the U.S. He was raised by strict Christian parents. He attended what is now Brown University, which incidentally, if you remember the Millers, this is where Bill Miller studied, a couple of hundred years after Judson, but still, uh, same university. He finished at age 19 at the top of his class. So, smart guy, right? But the prevailing wisdom of Judson's day was religious skepticism. And through the influence of his best friend, another student named Jacob Eames, Judson abandoned the faith of his parents. Now, following university, Judson tried acting, but that did not work out. So he was returning home. He stopped uh, for the night at an inn. The innkeeper said, I have one room left, but in the next room, you need to know that there's a man who is dying. And so Judson thought about it, but he said, I'll, I'll take the room. So he, he's in the room. Through the course of the night, he could hear the groans of the dying man, who was obviously in a great deal of pain. He could hear the footsteps of the innkeeper and his wife in and out as they were providing care to him in those last hours. Of course, that made it difficult to sleep, and as he's, he's laying there and he's thinking about that, his thoughts turn to dying and to death and to eternity, and he wonders about the man in the next room. He says, well, is, and he's thinking in light of the way he was raised, and he thinks, is this man ready to, to die? Is he ready to step into eternity? Is he ready to meet God? And then his thoughts turn to himself. He says, but am, am I ready to die? Am I ready to, to meet God? Am I, am I ready for eternity? Then it's just like he, he just sort of laughed to himself and he thought, what am I thinking? What, what would Jacob Eames think? What would he say to me now if he knew I was thinking about life and death and eternity? This is nonsense. And he went off to sleep. Next morning, he's talking to the innkeeper, and he asked how it went with the man in the next room. And the innkeeper said, well, he actually did actually die in the course of the night. And, and Judson said, well, that's, that's a shame, but uh, do you know who he was? And the innkeeper said he was actually a, a student from the college. His name was Jacob Eames. Well, this was a moment of clarity for Adoniram Judson, as you could imagine. He returned home. Soon after this, he records in his own journal that he had come to faith, personal faith in Christ. And Judson eventually spent 40 years as a missionary in the country that is now known as, as Myanmar. Well, not everybody has such a dramatic story, right? Uh, if you do, write it down because it's cool. But uh, still, most of us don't have these dramatic stories. But we do all at one time or another. At some level, we have these moments of clarity. And I hope today our exploration of Proverbs will, will lead us to one of those moments as well. Because what we have are, are two options. It's like we're at a fork in the road and we have two options set before us. At the, the latter part of chapter 1, we have Lady Wisdom who, who warns us against the perils of rejecting wisdom. Then in chapter 2, we have a father who encourages his son by 
by setting before him the, the rewards of pursuing wisdom. So let's take a look. We'll start at chapter 20 of Proverbs 1. But first, we, of course, we realize we're introduced to um, this figure called Lady Wisdom. So who is she? Well, we, we'll meet her two or three times in our exploration of Proverbs, God willing. But for now, just understand this is a literary device like we saw last week with the father-son conversation. She is wisdom personified, okay? Now, it may be helpful to you because of the way she describes herself and the way she speaks. You think she's more than she appears. Well, again, it's a literary device. She is wisdom personified, but from, this is how it's helpful for me to understand her role and who she is. You understand if you've read the Old Testament that as Israel departed farther and farther from their relationship with God, that God sent prophets to them to call them back to their covenant relationship. God had made a covenant with Israel through Moses, and as Israel disobeyed, got farther and farther into idolatry, he sent prophets. And that's the, about the latter half of the Old Testament is those messages. They often began their messages with, thus says the Lord, calling them back to that covenant that, that we find in, in the the first five books, especially in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So the last four of the first five <laughs> books. So, um, so the prophets spoke on God's behalf to reject their message was to reject God. Okay, the, the messenger was, was secondary. What was ultimate was, was what God was saying. So we might think of wisdom in a similar way as a prophet, or in this case, in this context, a prophetess, but not of, of God's covenant with Israel, but of, with a particular people, but of God's covenant with creation. And this we see hints of in, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, that, that there is a relationship between God and all of creation, and wisdom calls us back to that. Now, it's not like the prophets that say, thus says the Lord, and it's not like the law that says, you shall not. You know, the law says you shall not steal. Well, wisdom doesn't say you shall not steal. Wisdom says things like, Ill-gotten gains do not profit. <laughs> so, same point is across, but it's said differently. It's more of an observation than a, than a command pronounced. But the point is very similar. But this is why I believe when we read the Proverbs, we find more emphasis on creation than law. And it's why sometimes when you read the Proverbs, even people who don't follow Jesus read the Proverbs and they say, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's because it, it has such a broad creational type appeal. Every, anyone in the image of God can resonate with, with so much of what's in the Proverbs. And also why I, think, why I think we find people who, even though they don't follow Jesus, because of the image of God, because of common grace, they display and they demonstrate some of the characteristics that, that wisdom calls us to. So that bit of background on who Lady Wisdom is, let's look more closely at her words, and we'll, this is quite a long passage we're looking at, so we'll, we'll break it in smaller pieces as we go. So in verses 20 and 21, we'll see the introduction. It says, Out in the open wisdom, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. So wisdom calls out openly and loudly. She calls aloud. She raises her voice. She cries out. She, she, she makes her speech. So if you've been in Prague for more than a month, on the first Wednesday of the month, at noon, I see the nods. What do you hear? Well, first you hear, <laughs> and you hear that about 20 times. <laughs> and 
In several languages, it's saying something like test of the siren or something like that, right? So, um, and then you hear an, the emergency siren. So it's a monthly test of, of an emergency signal. And it goes out all over the city. We hear it every month. It's, so just you can set your watch by it. It's almost unsettling, right, if you're sitting there having a quiet day and then you hear this voice. You know, I talked last week about hearing voices in your head. That's one voice I know we all hear, right? So then you hear the siren. Well, wisdom is like that. It just it speaks, calls out to everybody. Now, the siren, of course, doesn't expect a response. They're just testing the system. But one of these days, it could happen. There might be a response necessary. But when wisdom calls, it does ask for a response from us. It is calling us to follow something. It's calling us to follow the way God has established creation, the way God has established life to work, even in a fallen world. So wisdom also calls to us not only publicly and out in the open, but also everywhere. It says um, in the, in the midst of, of all of our pursuits. So it gives some of the places where wisdom calls out. It's in the open, in the public square, on top of the wall, and at the city gate. So let me pause for just a second because verse 21 says that wisdom speaks on top of the wall. You may be using an English version that says uh, at the head of the noisy streets. Now most of the times if you're using different English translations, the wording is similar and that's fine, but these really don't seem very similar. Are we dealing with a wall or are we dealing with noisy streets? Well, the oversimplified answer is that Bible translators use multiple ancient manuscripts for their sources. They were copied by hand originally. Now, of course, they're printed. But sometimes those manuscripts differ at minor points, like here. And so this is a case of there being a manuscript that has noisy, which is an adjective, so you've got to supply a noun. And then you have other manuscripts that say wall. Translators have to work to decide which reading is preferred. And you'll see that in some of your Bibles. You'll have one of these choices, and I mentioned some versions that, that, uh, that make this choice. It was kind of interesting for me preparing this week because this is, an, this is an older New International Version I've had for a long time. And it says noisy streets. But the New International Version that we're using through Proclaim and, and, uh, and online has actually shifted to, to the top of the wall. So, well, reality is it doesn't make a great deal of difference, <laughs> okay? But I'll be honest with you, it was confusing for me this week as I was studying. I was going, looking at, at this one and then looking online and thinking, wait a minute, I'm, I'm missing something. And I realized, okay, dealing with a translator's decision, and that's okay. Reality is, whichever one you have, the point is, is that wisdom seeks us. Wisdom calls out to us in the midst of our daily pursuits. In the marketplace where we are getting what we need for life, along the, the noisy streets where we are just pressed on a mission out to do something, get what we need, in relationship where friends meet, in the marketplace, at the coffee shop, at the magistrati, in the, the pubs and clubs and parks and, and everywhere else. At the city gate where decisions are made, wisdom calls out and, and voices large and small because there is always that, that call for us to do what is right, for us to do what pleases the Lord, for us to follow an established order that God has, has ordained in creation. So in verse 22, what we see is that yes, wisdom calls out to us, wisdom seeks us, but we often miss the, the call of wisdom because of misplaced affections. He says in verse 22, 
How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? So her rebuke is aimed at the simple, that is, those who are capable of learning, unless, unless they are complacent in their ignorance. The mocker, this is not ignorance or indifference, but a value judgment. The mocker presumes he knows better, and by mocking, he makes a value judgment. He presumes to devalue what he mocks, and that makes him feel, feel powerful. And then the fools are those who have willfully and consciously rejected wisdom. Now let's notice their problem is not what they don't know, but why they don't know it. It is because of, of warped, misplaced affections. They love their simple ways. It's not just that they're simple. They love their simple ways. It's not just that they mock. They delight in mockery. And it's not just that they're indifferent toward knowledge. They hate knowledge. This is a heart problem. It's not a head problem. And our, that's the problem we have as well. Our problem is not so much what we don't know, but, but why we don't know it. Our problem is, is with what we love. It's with what we want and what drives us. Our affections are naturally misplaced. You are not just a brain on a stick <laughs> that needs new information. You are a creature that is made to worship. You are a creature that is made for faith, hope, and love. And the reality is, apart from the grace of God, faith, hope, and love, while everyone trusts and everyone hopes and everyone loves, all of those, apart from the grace of God, are misplaced and in some way or another focused on ourselves. In some way or another, we we find our, our faith, hope, and love focused on ourselves, and wisdom calls us away from that, calls us to put our faith, hope, and love in the Lord himself. So wisdom calls everybody to repentance. We see this in verse 23. She says, repent at my rebuke, and I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. Now, sometimes repentance is, a, is confused with doing penance. This is a in which a, a sinner does a religious act in order to demonstrate their sorrow for something they've done. But Biblically, repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. It's a turning point from a New Testament vantage point. It is turning from ourselves, our sin, to follow Christ. So true repentance means a change of heart, a regret for past sin, and a desire and intention to change, to do what is right, to obey the Lord. And this leads to a change in behavior. So to gain a heart of wisdom, the first thing we need to do is repent. And if we do, wisdom pours out her heart and thoughts, literally her spirit and her words on us. God, as we've seen in James 1, God generously and joyfully gives us wisdom without, without rebuking us. And then in verses 24 and 25, we see that if we reject wisdom, which unfortunately most people do, we experience the consequences. Since you refuse to listen when I call, no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand. Since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke. So these words refuse, not paying attention, disregarding, not accepting. These all describe various responses that range from indifference to hostility. But it's not enough to just not be hostile. God is calling you not to, to just not make war with wisdom, but to embrace it, to repent of, of misplaced faith, hope, and love. So the rejection of wisdom brings consequences. Now, the, the consequences of this rejection are severe, and that reflects the value of wisdom, the worth of wisdom. You know, if, if, uh, I, if I say something to you, you can accept it or reject it. But what's important is if what I am saying is biblical and true, it is not me that you're rejecting. It, it's God. Not that 
I am this enormous prophet. It's just, I'm seeking to be faithful to God's word and to the extent that I'm faithful to God's word. If you reject God's word, you're rejecting him. My role in this is, is minimal. But that's, that's what wisdom is saying to us. Rejecting wisdom is in effect rejecting God. And so we find consequences that measure the worth of what is being rejected. In verse 26, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but they will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. So here's disaster and calamity and distress and trouble, the consequences of rejecting wisdom. But then there is disdain by wisdom. It says in verse 26, this response is in turn, this is the appropriate, the fitting response because of the worth and value of wisdom, because wisdom speaks in this context for God himself. And so, yes, it, it sounds heartless, but it's a, the appropriate response to the sheer absurdity of rejecting wisdom, of rejecting a person of supreme worth. And then there is the deaf ear from wisdom. Wisdom won't answer because now what's happening is it says they're calling out for wisdom, but don't see this as prayer. See this as, oh, I'm in trouble. I need, I need a way out. They're not calling to God for wisdom. They're calling, they're just wanting a way out of, of trouble. They're, they're not looking at the real fruit of their ways or examining their hearts. So here's the lesson to be learned in verses 32 and 33. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them, but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without the fear of harm. So he warns us against waywardness. So waywardness is wandering off the path, but that is due to a lack of focus, a lack of intentionality, negligence, spiritual carelessness, because we are never static in our, in our spiritual lives. We are always either growing or we are regressing. So we dare not allow ourselves to wander off the path by spiritual negligence or carelessness. But then there is complacency, and this is self-satisfaction and pride, self-sufficiency, the idea that I am enough, I don't need wisdom, I don't need God, I can manage this, this just fine without God. And you will have the fruit of those attitudes. The contrast, listening to wisdom brings safety and a sense of security. But this doesn't mean that wise people never have calamity or misfortune. In fact, what happens is these things, like we saw in the, if you recall, I know you recall every word that drips from my mouth, but uh, <laughs> I recall, I mentioned a quote from John Piper last week that's, that said that God takes every calamity, every setback, every misfortune, every disappointment and strips it of its destructive power in order to enlarge our joy in God. And that's what we see happening here is that we may have the similar calamities and misfortunes as those who do not follow Christ, but the difference, because our hearts have been changed, is God uses those to draw us closer to him. Just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Well, how about that? It's like Jesus read the Proverbs, <laughs> who built his house on the rock. The rains came, the streams rose, the wind beat against it. See, you see, everything's coming from every direction, right? Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man 
who built his house on sand. Same thing happens. Rain came down, streams rose up, winds blow and beat against it, and that house fell with a great crash. So the difference between wisdom and folly, from a New Testament perspective, it is obedience to Jesus, it is humbling ourselves before him. So that's, that's the warning against the perils of, of rejecting wisdom. It is a call to repentance, but repentance is turning from something. But you can't turn from something without turning to something. And that's what we see in chapter 2. We see the second father-son exhortation as the, the father tells his son about the rewards of pursuing wisdom. So he says in the verse, first four verses of, of chapter 2, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, big ifs, we've got to wait for the then, the, the promise, but here are the conditions. These verses emphasize three things that have to be part of our pursuit of wisdom. Okay? First is our attitude toward godly wisdom, which again, we've seen wisdom is speaking on God's behalf. So this is anything God says. This, I think, by extension applies to all of Scripture. This means a humble, receptive attitude to God's Word and to learning really from all of life. Just to have this humble attitude, whatever happens, to say, God, what are you teaching me? Okay. I, everything happens, it happens with a purpose and for a reason, and God intends to use it to teach us and to deepen our, our joy in Him. So this, what this looks like in terms of our attitude toward the Word, there is first an acceptance. This speaks of receiving God's Word as, as true and authoritative. We store it up. Other translations say treasure it. This speaks of an affection, a delight in God's Word. That's in contrast to the delight and mockery that we saw in chapter 1. Um, and I don't know about you, when I came to Christ as a university student, um, I had a hunger for God's Word that I simply did not have days before that. Uh, it puzzled even me. It's like, why? <laughs> this book used to just bore me to tears. And now I cannot wait to put down my engineering books and pick up the Word of God. It's crazy. And, and that persists to this day. My, my heart hungers for God's Word day by day. Uh, not every day, to be honest and transparent, but, you know, it, I, I seek for it to be the first thing I do in the morning and the last thing I do at night is, is to expose my heart to God's Word and, and often through the course of the day. And I do have a day job, so, you know, it's uh, not like I'd sit around reading the Bible all day. <laughs> um, but then he says, you turn your ear you turn your ear to wisdom. So this is listening, but listening with the intent to obey, right? How many of us who are parents have ever said, do you hear me? Okay, we're not asking if our kids' ears work, right? We know the auditory canal is functioning. We're not really asking about are things working or the mechanics of hammer, anvil, stirrup, is that what they're called, you know, the eardrum and all of that? You know, no, that's not what we're worried about. We're concerned about their heart and other parts of their body if they don't obey, right? <laughs> they're, you know, we... We listen with a view to obedience. And then it, he talks about applying the heart. And this is meditating, reflecting, allowing the Word of God to change your lives, to shape your words, your choices, your habits, all that you say and think and do. And, yeah. and then the second part of, of the three things that are a part of pursuing wisdom is calling out to God for wisdom. This is, this is prayer. This is in contrast 
to those who reject the call of wisdom to them. Now we are calling out to God for wisdom. It is in contrast to those who are calling out to wisdom in the moment of trouble, but because they've rejected wisdom, wisdom turns a deaf ear. We don't get a deaf ear this time. God, God hears, as we've seen in James 1, he loves making us wise. And then we see that searching for wisdom, he says we are to search for it like silver, like a hidden treasure. It's valuable, it's important, it's a priority. This is the heart that seeks wisdom and understanding and insight from God, and it takes time and energy and focus and intentionality. And here is the mystery, right? We read these two sections together. End of chapter 1, wisdom seeks us, wisdom calls, it's everywhere, it's like the siren, you can't get away from it. And then, it's like as if we... We turn and, and listen to wisdom. Wisdom disappears, and suddenly wisdom becomes a hidden treasure. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Where are you? <laughs> you were calling and seeking and pursuing me, and now that I'm turned to you, I, can't, I feel just like a moron. <laughs> you know? It's like, where's wisdom? Because wisdom seems to disappear around the corner because that is all part of the process of growing in wisdom. It is it's kind of like a dance, except, well, only, well, I guess I'm that bad a dancer because yeah, Karen does kind of run for me if I want to you know, try it. Never mind. I've told you the story of, of our ballroom dancing lessons. I won't do that again for another few months. It was, it was humiliating for me. We were in Louisiana, and, uh, which probably is all I need to say, but the guy we pay for our ballroom dancing lessons, he was a dance instructor and a horse trainer. So... It gets worse from there. Anyway, this is our dance with wisdom. Wisdom seeks us out. It pursues us. And yet when we turn, what we find is, where is it? Where is wisdom? I hear the voice. What do I do? How do I find wisdom? And, and that is part of the journey is because we have to, I mean, it's literally we have to drop everything and pursue wisdom and realize it is a treasure. It is not just on the ground. It is, God is going to test. I think the Lord will test our resolve our intent to be wise. And yet he is joyful and giving. So the whole process may be painful for us. It is a joy for God. And I don't mean God is sadistically deriving joy from our, our misfortune and our, and our adversity. But that is part of a, a mysterious process. Okay. So it reminds me actually of uh, what happens is God delights in giving wisdom, but he doesn't give us all wisdom at once. He does it over time. He does it through life experiences. And that's why we have to have a humble heart to be learning from Scripture, but also from life itself and, and look for alignment and all of that. You know, I think about when, before I got married, um, I read books. I talked to people who were married. I asked questions. I, we did premarital counseling. We did everything we could. But, you know, 31 years past the wedding, I have learned a lot more about marriage. And, you know, when I was a pastor, I preached on marriage. I was in my first year of marriage preaching people who had been married 20 years or more. And, you know, they were gracious. But most of what I preached came from books, you know. And they managed not to laugh when I was being serious, and we all survived. But, you know, now... It's like everything I said was true. And even someone, someone who is single doesn't need to be afraid, afraid to preach or teach about marriage because it is in, is in the Word of God. So you be faithful to that and you say what's true. But there's something about being seasoned through an experience that, that adds wisdom to your words. 
So then verse 5, here's the promise. You'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And as we saw last week, the fear of the Lord is the golden ticket to everything else. Okay? That's where it starts. That's where it starts every day. So he says this, starting in verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. Again, here we are back to the word of God. Come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. Wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you. Understanding will guard you. Now notice the difference in attitude between this and the people in verse 1, the mockers and fools who despise and reject wisdom. Here, saying wisdom is pleasant. This is, this is good. And, it, and understanding that you're learning wisdom adds sweetness to some of the bitterness of life. Say, yes, I am. I'm okay, I can look back on, on this terrible experience and see what God did in that time. And we learn from it. So he promises wisdom and knowledge and understanding. This is to navigate small decisions and large ones, along with that success and protection. But those don't look like the world's version of success and protection. We'll see more about that later. Then the father gives his son some examples about how wisdom works and how wisdom protects. Their first two things are threats from people who have left the path they should be on, and they are heading for destruction, and they will take anyone they can with them. So first... Wisdom protects us from wicked men or from the threat of or the enticement of power. So verses 12 to 15 says, Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong, rejoice in the perverseness of evil. Now you see, here's, you see the things they love? It's right there. Okay, they love perversion. They delight in wrong, rejoice in perverseness of evil. Their paths are crooked who are devious in their ways. So and of course, we understand that this is not just wicked men. This can be wicked women too. Men and women both can be wicked. Wisdom can protect us from either one. And it can protect us in a couple of ways. One, like Proverbs 22 and verse 3 says, the prudent see danger and take refuge. That is, when, when you're wise, you have the ability to see danger and, and avoid it because you sense, okay, something is wrong, something is dangerous, there is a threat here. We better stop, evaluate this decision. It says the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Never think about consequences. Plow on or you know, move straight ahead and suffer the consequences. But wisdom can help protect us. So a few years ago, phone rang at my mother's house. So she would have been, uh, I would say, in her mid-80s at this point. Phone rings. She answers the phone, and a young male voice at the other end says, Grandma. She says, Yes. She says, it's, it's me, your grandson. She says, well, hello, how are you? He says, well, actually, I'm in trouble. And she said, well, what's wrong? And he went on to explain that, that he was in serious trouble, that some really terrible things, had, he had gotten involved in some really terrible things, and he needed her to send him $1,500 right away. And she said, well, I, I'm really sorry to hear that. Okay, um... Uh, you know, I, I want to help. Uh, oh, by the way, would you remind me when your birthday is? I want to be sure I send you a card because I think I forgot last year. And 
He said, why are you asking me this? I'm your grandson and you're my grandmother and I need this money. I need you to send it right now. She said, that's fine. I, I want to help you, but just remind me when your birthday is because I think I missed it last year and I, I want to send you a card this year. And they went back and forth like this for a couple of times. Finally, he hung up. Of course, this was not one of her grandchildren. This was a scam. I think God has a special fury for people who take advantage of old people, especially my mom. But... When she told me that, I thought, you know, score one for the great generation, right? <laughs> this little punk calls my mama. He doesn't know. Yeah, he has, as we would say in the southern U.S., he has bit off more than he can chew. So that was good. But honestly, we are victimized sometimes. Sometimes the Lord does allow those things to happen. Sometimes we're defrauded. And wicked people have some kind of victory over us. But again, we're not meant to live in fear of this. We can trust that God will use this. Even our own poor decisions, God will use those things. And so we're not meant to, be, to live in fear, in bondage or paralysis of fear. But understand that depending on wisdom, first can alert us to some dangers. But I think more importantly, I think what the Father is telling the Son here is that wisdom keeps you from becoming this wicked man or this wicked woman. So we read this and we, and we think, well, I, I'm the good guy. I need protection from the wicked. Yeah, but you know what? You're also, there's something in you. You have an evil twin, right? Okay, I do. <laughs> I have an evil twin. But I, could, I need protection from my own heart. I need wisdom so that I don't become the kind of person who's enamored with power and leads others astray through power. Okay. So wisdom works both ways. It's meant to be applied broadly like this. And the second... And we will land the plane quickly here. Um, wisdom protects us from the, the threat of or the enticement of pleasure. This is from the adulterous woman. And again, it applies to adulterous men also. Like the wicked man, she's left the path she should be on, on a path of destruction, will take whoever she can with her. So in verse 16, wisdom will save you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth, ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death, and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain to the paths of life. Again, wisdom helps us keep perspective. Look beyond the enticement in the moment and not fall into that trap. And wisdom helps us to not become the kind of person who turns others aside through enticement and seduction. So the conclusion, the last three verses, that's the word you're looking for, right? That points us to a third way wisdom helps us. It keeps us in community. In verse 20, he says, Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land, the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful torn from it. So as the father concludes this word, he's challenging his son to remain in community. Wisdom keeps you in community with the right kind of people, and that is so very important because we're not meant to walk alone. We're meant to walk with others. So choose your friends wisely. I hope you have good friends to whom you can be honest and authentic and, and real. Um, be thankful for those folks. So we hear the voice of wisdom and all our pursuits. Wisdom calls us to repent, to, to have a change of heart, to stay in God's word and attitude of prayer, continually seek him, and in time, in measure, wisdom will come. We've also heard that wisdom calls us to repent, and in the call of wisdom, you need to hear the call of Jesus to repent as he calls you to himself to make him the object of your faith, your hope, and your love. Wisdom warns us of disaster and calamity and distress and trouble for those who reject it. 
And you need to know that though Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord, he willingly suffered calamity and distress and disaster and trouble. What we deserved through his crucifixion and then followed by the victory of his resurrection. And he makes a promise to you that if you will repent, abandon hope in yourself, turn to him, put your hope in him, you will find forgiveness, you will find freedom, you will find life in him now and forever. And he will set you on the path to wisdom. So if you want to know more about Jesus, what it means to know him and follow him, please see one of us after the service today. Father, thank you for these moments with your word. We confess um, wisdom is a mystery to us. We hear the call of wisdom. Uh, We hear that voice that sometimes tells us that we've uh, failed in some way. We thank you that, that your voice always leads us to redemption, forgiveness, and freedom. I pray, Father, that you will grant us wisdom that you'll grant us hearts that are humble, that are attentive to your word, that treasure your word, apply it, prayerfully seek you all day, every day. Grant us the fear of the Lord. Grant us the change of heart. Father, for those today who don't know you, I pray that today would be a moment of clarity for them, that they would put their hope in you, abandoning hope in themselves. So thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus died and risen. For our faith, hope, and love are in him, and we pray in his name. Amen.